Well, as I have been saying since we kicked off this series a couple of weeks ago, I am just a tad bit excited for this series and this season at Grumlaw. There really is such a holy anticipation for what God is going to do in and through this faith community here in 2022. And I'm confident that a good chunk of that excitement lies in the fact that we are opening up ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit, God himself, truly like we never have before. That There's a line in that video that's of particular importance this morning as, as we continue in this conversation surrounding the Holy Spirit. Do you know him? Do, do you know him? Whether you've been at this church thing for, for your entire life or if you're new to all this, I really want you to ask yourself that question right now. Do you know him? And I challenge those of you in particular who have been doing church for a while now to maybe not be quite so fast to say yes. And, and I don't say that to unnecessarily cast a shadow of doubt. Instead, I'm simply leaning in on my own experience as a pastor and even in on my own life. For far too long, I, I thought I knew him, but if I'm honest, I didn't. I was resistant to his work in my life because such a seed of weirdness has been, we talked about last week, such a seed of weirdness had been cast among those who embraced the Holy Spirit that, that I threw the baby out with the bathwater. How sad is that? In most of my conversations with, yes, even Christians surrounding the Holy Spirit, it's, it's quickly revealed that most people don't really seem to know him. That, that, that's revealed as, People describe him as an it or some other impersonal force. It's revealed as people talk about him as if he's some distant thing, no more capable of relationship than a gust of wind. It's most revealed as I watch well-meaning Christians struggle through life, continually tripped up by the same sin, the same mistakes, the same problems, relying way too much on themselves rather than God himself, who, mind you, hates watching us continually undone by our own shortcomings. And this morning, my hope and my prayer is that you'll certainly walk away, yes, with an understanding that the Holy Spirit is a person who has a mind, a will, and emotions just like you and I, but more than that, he's a person who longs to be your personal friend, that you would truly know him. As far-fetched as that may sound to some of you, yes, the God of the universe absolutely wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants to be your friend. And my guess is if you're just kind of tuning in and that sounds way too good to be true, it sounds more like a fairy tale, isn't it also kind of exactly what you were hoping to find at a, at a place like this? See, so many people, and including many Christians, we've, we've been sensing that something is missing in our lives. And as we covered at length in part one, it's, it's not a something, it's, it's a someone. It's God in spirit, the Holy Spirit. W without him, people operate in their own strength and only accomplish human-sized results. None of us were ever created to accomplish all that God has in store for us by our own power. It's only possible with the indwelling, with the constant, with the regular presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives a personal friendship, a true relationship with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, if you're new around here, or maybe you stepped away for a season and now you're back, today we are entering into part three of a six-week conversation very intentionally surrounding the Holy Spirit. It'd be like starting to watch Breaking Bad halfway through the, the second season. That just wouldn't make a lot of sense. So if you have not been here for parts one and two, please go catch yourself up at grumlaw.com slash messages or, or find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you happen to grab those podcasts. But real quick, I'm going to kind of give us the 5,000-foot view of what we've been discussing so far in this series. Jesus, in some of his final words to his disciples, his friends, his followers, he he looks at all of them right before he's about to leave this earth and he says, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not exaggerating that this is a fact. It's better for you, better for you that I go away, that I leave. Because if I do not go, the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I do go away, then, then I will send him to you. Jesus was actually trying to convince his disciples with a completely straight face, mind you, that it would somehow be better for them and everyone else, including me and including you, that he would leave this earth. Better for them that no longer do they get to spend every waking moment with him face to face. It would have sounded a little far-fetched to say the least. But, But here's what Jesus knew. As long as he stayed on this earth, his influence would be limited. He could only be at one place at one time. And Jesus didn't just have regional intentions for this movement that we would now refer to as Christianity, as we all now actually know. No, he became flesh, he died for our sins, and then rose from the grave so that everyone, everyone might have the opportunity to be made right with God. And if this message was going to reach quite literally everyone, the Holy Spirit had, had to be sent one place at one time. Those restrictions don't apply to the Holy Spirit. God as spirit, wherever you go, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, God now goes with you. God now goes before you. Jesus wasn't kidding. He wasn't exaggerating. This is undeniably better. So last week, we took some time focusing on the character of the Holy Spirit. Again, one of the three members of the Trinity, fully God, while also being a distinct person. We discussed who he is. But but this week, as promised, and as was already teased at the beginning of this message, we're going to be discussing the more personal side of the Holy Spirit, that he is indeed a person who has a mind, a will, and and emotions. I, I want to show you a picture here. This right here was my most prized possession growing up. I actually, as I was researching for this service and trying to find the exact picture and I found it, I would pay way too much money to get this bike back, this this beautiful chromed out mongoose menace. I took care of this thing like it was a Rolls Royce because to 10 year old Shay, well, it was. I would wash it, I would take it on long rides, I wouldn't let other kids near it. I would literally, as a kid, I would park it in places where no other kid would even have the opportunity to put a scratch on it. I cared more about this bike. I'm serious, I thought about this. I cared more about this bike than probably anything that I have ever owned. But but as much as I liked this Mongoose Menace bicycle, I, I could put it in the garage from December to March, not pay it a lick of attention, and it wouldn't even give me a bad look when I pulled it out in the spring. If I rode a friend's bike, it it wouldn't get jealous. It wouldn't get mad at me. When I did later on in life, regretfully get rid of it, there were no hard feelings. Actually, when I really think about it, for for as long as I owned this thing, we never had a single conversation. You want to know why? Because it's a bike. It's a thing. It's, It's an object. 
We, we cannot, we don't develop relationships. We don't have friendships with things, with objects. For, for as long as you see the Holy Spirit as it or something or some other impersonal force, you're gonna continue to miss out on the richness, the joy, the benefits that come from a relationship with him, that come from a relationship with a person. He is a person. To, to, to that end, the term Holy Spirit, as I thought about this, as I prepared this message, it, it isn't a name, it's, it's a description of his role. God is his name. See, each member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, that they have a word used to describe their function. God as the Father, God as the Son, God as the Spirit. And, and whereas Father and Son kind of naturally cause us to think of people, that, that's not necessarily the case when we hear the term Spirit, but it's a description of his role, not a name. Now, for a couple of minutes here this morning, I'm gonna kind of nerd out a little bit on the more theological side of this, explaining why his personhood is such a big deal. Explaining again and getting into some detail around his mind, his will, and his emotions. And then I promise we'll wrap this whole thing up by hitting on why this is such an extraordinarily good piece of news for all of us. See, when attempting to define what makes a person a person, from a theological standpoint, very simply put, a person is a being with a soul. So, so for instance, a tree is alive. An insect is alive. Your family pet obviously is alive. They are living, breathing things, but they don't have souls. Now I realize, by the way, I'm treading on some sacred ground, even mentioning family pets, but just remember, I'm a truth teller up here, so don't shoot the messenger. But, but a soul is what bestows personhood upon an individual. And, and a soul, as already alluded to, is made up of three components, a, a mind, a will, and emotions. A person with a soul has thoughts, that's the mind. A person with a soul makes choices, that's the will. And a person with a soul has emotions and therefore has feelings. That the capacity to do these three things indicates the presence of a soul. Now, now I want you to really think about this for a second and the implications that this has for every follower of Jesus. That this is indescribably wonderful. As a follower of Jesus, think of this, you quite literally have someone living within you who is God. The Holy Spirit has the mind of God. He, he knows the will of God. He knows God's feelings. He resides within us because he wants to help us think the way God thinks, desire what God desires and feel what God feels. Come on, that's so good. I gotta say that one more time. He resides within us. The Holy Spirit resides within us because he wants us to help us think the way God thinks, desire what God desires and feel what God feels. Yet so many of us, including myself, we grew up with this message of, hey, say this prayer and thus accept Jesus into your heart. You'll be saved from eternal damnation, but good luck being a better person in this life. Now, when you do inevitably screw up, say sorry and try harder next time. That's not the life God has designed for you. That's not the life Jesus quite literally died for you to have. If that was the case, he certainly with a straight face wouldn't have tried to claim it's better that he leave this earth. No, with the Holy Spirit, the God of the universe now dwells within you, enabling you to experience true victory, joy, contentment, peace, and blessing on this earth. It starts now and forevermore. 
He is a person with a mind, a will, and emotions. Let's first explore his, his mind. We took a look at this verse uh, last week. These are some of the very words of Jesus himself teaching us about the Holy Spirit. So Jesus speaking, he says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but whatever he hears, he will speak. I'm gonna keep on beating this drum. The Holy Spirit still speaks. He, he wants to speak just as clearly today as he did some 2000 years ago. And, and he will disclose to you what is to come. The reason that the Holy Spirit, the reason that God is able to guide us, as it says here, into all truth is because he knows all truth. God is, big theological word kind of coming up here, omniscient. This means that he is all-knowing. He quite literally knows everything that there is to know, past, present, and future. He's a God of such detail that we're told that he has every single hair on your head numbered. He knows our innermost thoughts. He knows our innermost desires. No knowledge is hidden from him. Think about that. God's never said, well, it just occurred to me. It has never just occurred to God. Even the most intelligent people on this planet, people just like me, that's a joke, making sure you're still paying attention, that they do not impress God. But I want you to think about this. Despite his omniscience, he longs to still have a relationship with you. As a follower of Jesus, there's someone living inside of you who knows everything about everything, and yet he has made a commitment to be your teacher. That, that's pretty great, right? Y'all starting to understand why this content is getting me so excited? I'm going to kind of put this to the test right now. I mean, how many of you who are watching right now, you've ever been reading this book that we call the Bible and, and the words have seemingly just leapt off the page, a new truth revealed to you that you had never seen previously, something new shown to you that you're like, oh my goodness, how could I have not seen this before? Who, who do you think is responsible for that? Every single week, I talk about this as I write these messages, this happens. New truths being revealed and shown to me by God himself. He wants to teach you. He, he, he wants to reveal his thoughts. He, he wants to guide you into all truth. But by the way, as a bit of a sidebar, but those who do think that Christianity is just a bit of a fairy tale, it's a crock, it's kind of this thing duping emotionally unstable people, one of the most common things they'll do is they'll poke fun at scripture. They'll make fun of this text that we call the Bible. They don't exactly see the merit. I want to tell you, that doesn't really surprise me. I don't think it really should surprise any of us because they're reading it without the teacher, without the Holy Spirit guiding them into truth. There's a huge difference between reading scripture when I was just kind of going through the motions as a teenager. I was doing it because it was something that I just had to do. Versus now inviting the Holy Spirit, God himself, into my quiet time and asking him to teach me. It's his mind, but again, he is a person, so he also has a will. One of the most common things that I'll hear from the very people in this faith community, in fact, this is one of the most common reasons that I hear from people as to why they come walking through the doors of a church in the first place. They'll say, I want to know God's will for my life. I want to know God's will for my life because it's not very fun to walk through life without any direction and without any purpose, right? That, that's true whether you're a Christian or not. And, and what's even more interesting is that all the time, <laughs> people will come to me and they'll ask this question. They, they'll look to me like, hey, Shay, can you help to show me 
and reveal to me what it is that is God's will for my life, almost expecting that I have some sort of cheat sheet in my pocket that's going to help him out. Now, now, this is worth noting. We get to know the general will of God by spending time in his word, by spending time in this book called the Bible. We know his specific will by getting to know him. So for instance, you wanna know how to have a thriving marriage? Well, that's in the Bible. That's his general will. It's in his word. He, he tells us that marriage is a submission competition where you are constantly deferring to your spouse. You are constantly putting their needs, their desires ahead of your own. But, but you wanna know who to specifically marry? Well, you figure that out through a friendship with the Holy Spirit. That is his specific will. You want to know his will for, for your life? Get to know the member of the Trinity who has been tasked with relaying that information to you. Step into friendship with the Holy Spirit. All the time, people will come up to me and they'll excitedly share with me, Shay, they'll say something along these lines. I finally made spending that daily time with God a priority and you wouldn't believe it but I feel like I'm sensing his direction for my life more than I ever have. I'm like, I believe it. That, that makes a lot of sense. In, in my own life, for instance, God didn't ask me to start a church in Grand Blanc, Michigan out of nowhere. It, it came out of this extended season of great intimacy with the Holy Spirit, constantly begging for his specific will to be revealed in my life. Paul talks about this will in his early letter to the Christian church in Rome. There he says, so we are convinced that every detail of our lives, his will for our lives is continually woven together for good. He has a plan. He has a good purpose for you for we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose. That sure sounds a whole lot like his will for he knew all about us before we were born and he destined us from the beginning to share the likeness of his son. Part of the general will for every single person that is watching right now is that none of you would perish, that every single one of you would experience eternal life. It is precisely why God sent his one and his only son. This means the son, Jesus, is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Having determined our destiny ahead of time, will, he called us to himself and transferred his perfect righteousness to everyone he called. You get that right standing back transferred to you when you place your trust in Jesus and those who possess his perfect righteousness, he co-glorified with his son. This is a really popular passage of scripture, but so often it's taken out of context. This is all about God's will for your life. But, but this design purpose, this will for our lives is never going to come to fruition. It's never gonna be realized apart from an intimate relationship, a friendship with the person of the Holy Spirit. Y'all, we, we should take comfort in these words. God absolutely has a plan for you. He, he has, as it says here, determined your destiny ahead of time. But, but you're never gonna know what that is if you keep trying to muscle through it on your own. If you don't step into relationship with the Holy Spirit. He has a mind, he has a will. We also wanna look at his emotions. For, for whatever reason, people, including very much myself, we, we tend to have a lot easier time recognizing and getting our heads around the fact that God does have a mind, that he does have a will, but we tend to ignore his emotions. 
But last week, for instance, we talked about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are all characteristics, by the way, characteristics that people can have and, and objects cannot. But Paul, in his early letter to the Christian church in Ephesus, he expounds upon this, that the fact that that the Holy Spirit absolutely has emotions when he writes these words. He says, do not bring sorrow. Other translations say, do not grieve God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he, he has identified you as his own. He, he declared the value that he places on your life when he gave his one and his only son, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption if you simply put your trust, your faith, your belief in Jesus. Most of us probably haven't thought about this before because we haven't really come to grips with the fact that the Holy Spirit is a person with emotions just like you and just like me. But as it says very clearly here, you can absolutely bring sorrow to, grieve the Holy Spirit. And one of the primary ways that we go about this, by the way, as Paul points out to us right here, is how we live. Living in a way that makes a mockery of the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. It'd be like, for instance, let's say I had a friend and he was in need and his car broke down. He didn't have a lot of money in savings, had no money to fix it or buy a new one. And so my wife and I, we talk and we have that conversation. We're like, you know what? We're just feeling led to, to, to give this guy a gift. And so we take a significant chunk of money out of our savings and we buy him a new car. We say, hey, this is just a gift from, from us to you. We believe in you. We think God has a plan for your life. Here you go. Here are the keys. It's all you. And, and no sooner does he snatch the keys out of my hand, he jumps in the car and he starts doing donuts and driving like a madman in my front lawn. And then he looks over at me, gives me a big thumbs up and drives the car straight into a tree. Gets out of the vehicle, tosses me the keys and says, thanks a lot. That would bring sorrow to my life. That that would grieve me by how my friend chose to live. That he would make such a mockery of our very generous gift to him. Yet so many of us fully, we know what Christ has done for us and we still choose to live apart from him in a direction that he has not advocated. That he would say, that is not what is best for you. Now probably not so ironically, the only way that we can actually live differently is through the constant, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives that comes from a friendship with him. Listen, this is so important. My sin, it took on an entirely new weight when I recognized that yes, God has emotions. When I entered into friendship with God and figured out that by blatantly heading in a direction opposite of what he had planned for my life, I was hurting him. I was grieving him. And additionally, making an absolute mockery of what the Son did on the cross for me. Now, if you don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you don't really give a rip about any of that. And by the way, before you let your mind perhaps go too far down this rabbit trail, and if you're new to church, you really need to hear this, that the reason God wants us to avoid sin in our lives is because it hurts you and the people around you the people that Jesus saw fit to die for. When my older brother was walking through a season of alcohol addiction, it created deep sadness. It created grief for the entire family, for all those that were close to him because it was causing harm to him as well as the people around him. Maybe this is all you need to hear this morning. God wants what is best for you. 
which is precisely why he wants you to avoid sin, which exclusively leads to regret, to shame, to embarrassment, and a whole lot more. He absolutely has your best interest in mind, which precisely why, again, he died for you. But most of all, it, it grieves him when we sin because we're only stepping further away from intimacy with the Holy Spirit. But more than anything, he wants you. He wants a relationship. He wants a personal friendship with you. A pivotal moment in all of our faith journeys comes about when you begin to come to grips with the fact that the God of the universe is absolutely crazy about you. That more than anything else, he just wants you. He wants intimacy with you. And I'm never going to stop reminding us of this. If you ever doubt that, look no further than the cross. The great lengths that God has went to, not to pay you back, but to win you back. He would have died for you if it was just you. That is how badly he wants you. And you better believe, yeah, as it says here, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, but we also can cause him great joy. In the book of Psalms, it says, for the Lord delights, takes great joy in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. You put a big old smile on God's face when you take those steps closer to him. When you humble yourself and come to grips with the fact that you cannot get it together on your own and you go running into the loving arms of your creator, he delights in you. And I've got to land this plane. Yes, my intention today was to teach you about the Holy Spirit, to, to give you a bit of the theology behind all of this. But more than that, I hope you've seen that as we learn about the person of the Holy Spirit, his mind, his will, his emotions, I hope you've seen what great benefit that is to, to us, to his followers. Again, I, I really want you to think about that. Every follower of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, has access to the mind, the will, and the emotions of God. You have someone living in you who wants to help you think the way God thinks, desire what God desires, and feel what God feels. For literally hundreds, thousands of years before the redemptive work of Jesus and then the unleashing of the Holy Spirit on all Jesus' followers, God was speaking to just a handful of people. In fact, at certain points in history, literally one or two people on the entire planet would hear directly from God. This is why Jesus said, it's better that I leave so that the Holy Spirit could be sent. Now, every follower of Jesus, not one or two, every one of them, can hear directly from God, can know his mind, can know his will, can know his emotions. Listen, as your pastor, I, I, I can hear God with you, but not for you. Again, all the time people come up to me and say, I, I just wanna know God's will for my life, can you help? Y'all, the whole reason Jesus came was so that you might have a personal relationship with God himself. You can't have a personal relationship through someone else. 
Jesus came to strip down these walls of religiosity. You don't need to go through a priest or a pastor or anyone else. Go to God directly. The Holy Spirit longs for this relationship with you. So back to where we started today. Do you know him? He wants a relationship with you more than you could possibly imagine. The Holy Spirit longs to be your personal friend.